can you hear me? Hey, yeah. Oh, perfect. Oh, I still have no Wi-Fi, so pray for me. Very rude of the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Honestly, who knew moving was this difficult? Yeah, very I'm true. Just, just don't do it. It's not worth it. You have I to figure to things out for to. yourself. I had to call. I've I've called so many people in the past like two days that my social battery is gone. I did try to tell you not to. So I know it's on you, man. Oh. Uh. Well, this is a fun little story, so maybe it'll distract me from my problems. Hopefully. It's actually not a fun little story. It's oh. kind of the worst, but... Okay, so it won't. <laughs> well, it'll still distract me from my problems. All right. <laughs> okay, um, I'm Sonia. I'm Maddie. And welcome to Grimm. Woo! Okay. So, um, this week it is... A little, a little paranormal story from the UK, and um, I decided that we could talk about the Ludun possessions. Um, okay, I really hope I'm saying this fun. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that sums it up. So you know how like we took French for like years. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm pronouncing it. So, like you're pronouncing it like the French way, or it's French and you don't know if you're pronouncing it right. It's French, and I don't think I'm pronouncing it. Ah, uh, right. okay. That's, <laughs> that's fair. fair. <laughs> I don't know French, and I spent like six years taking it, so <laughs> that's all good. It's okay. Um, all right, so the Ludon possessions, there were a notorious like witchcraft trial in Ludon, France in 1634. And basically what happened was that this convent of Ursuline nuns basically said that they had been visited and also possessed by demons. So that's fun. Yeah, not great. <laughs> um, the they were um, they were known as the Order of Saint Ursula, and this was basically like an enclosed religious order of consecrated women, and they like branched off from the Angelines. So they were known as the Company of Saint Ursula in 1574. Okay. And if you were wondering, um, I didn't know this because I don't know anything about religion apparently. An enclosed religious order is a religious order whose members are strictly, they like strictly separate themselves from the affairs of the external world. Oh, so they're okay. just like, they're just like, this is my world. The convent is my world. And that's it. So they really out there. Right. They're just like, religion <laughs> is, is this. It kind of sounds like a cult to me. Like, yeah. You know, I feel like sometimes religious groups kind of toe the line of cult but yeah, I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, there are a lot of similarities, and it's kind of concerning. Yeah, it do be a little concerning. Um, but there was this whole investigation on this particular possession, because all of the nuns were like, we were possessed by demons, and obviously to the church, that probably was kind of scary. Yeah, that's something you might want to check in on. <laughs> yeah. So there was this investigation by the Catholic Church, and after that, this local priest called Father Urbain Grandier was accused of summoning said evil spirits, and then he was eventually convicted of the crimes of sorcery and then was burned at the stake. That is a wild crime to be charged with. Right? (laughs) Let me just say. (laughs) Imagine it's like the 1600s, and you just get charged with summoning evil spirits. (laughs) What is the evidence? I don't know, but they just, they charged him with it. All right. I mean, fair, I guess. Um, 
So this case has a lot of similar themes to other witchcraft trials that occurred throughout Western Europe in the 17th century. And there were a ton of these. There was, um, I'm not going to pronounce this right, so I'm really sorry. The Aix-en-Provence possessions in France, again, in 1611. There were the Pendle Witches in 1612. And then eventually it reached, like, the New World in the 1690s. So they persecuted witches there as well. Yeah, I always forget that, um, like, witch trials weren't just, like, a Salem thing. (laughs) Yeah, same. Like, it it really does feel like, I think just growing up near Salem, we always just talk about the Salem witch trials. I was going to say, yeah, growing up in Massachusetts, really. Yeah, it's just all about Salem. Yeah. Yeah. If you, like, talk about witches, you're like Salem. Yeah, basically. Um, So, a little bit of historical background in i don't really okay i'll be honest i also don't really understand historical background because like there were a lot of things happening and um i'm not going to go into all the details of all the things because there are a lot of things <laughs> so many things um I'm, this is like a an outline kind of thing okay um so in the late 1500s slash like early 1600s the crown was trying to consolidate and centralize power and they were like led by Louis the Thirteenth, who ordered that they build wall that the the walls that were built around Loudun at the time were torn down. Um, and this was so Loudun was like a town in a place a region called Poitou in France, and there were walls around the city. So Louis the Thirteenth ordered that they were torn to be torn down, and the population of Loudun were like really conflicted about this. One group called the, I'm so sorry, they wanted to keep the walls up, but the other group, the Catholics, they supported the monarchy and they wanted it torn down. Okay. And what year was this? Uh, This was in like the late 1500s, early 1600s. Okay. Not like a, like there wasn't like an actual date that they gave me in any of the articles. They were just like, this is the time that it happened. Yeah. I'm guessing that it was, like, they ordered it and then people just were, like, mad about it and it took a while for them to, like, debate it. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. History is wild. <laughs> um, and then, so this is happening, right, in that period of time. And then also, in May of 1632, there was an outbreak of plague in Ludun and tons of people died. So all of these things that are happening together, you know, the uncertainty around whether we should tear the wall down or not, and also like the plague that's happening, they it contributed to an atmosphere that had a lot of anxiety and apprehension in an already divided town. Bad energy. Bad energy. Bad energy, man. Yeah. I'll get you. <sighs> Honestly. Get the vibes. The vibes have to be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vibe um, check. <laughs> <laughs> Vibe check that town. <laughs> Um, Okay, so this is a lot of history, but I promise it gets better. Um, The next bit of information that I read in the articles talked about the man called Urbain Grandier. Again, I'm so sorry for pronunciation. I just need, like, a trigger warning at the beginning of all of these episodes. (laughs) A trigger warning for pronunciation. (laughs) A trigger warning for my bad pronunciation. (laughs) They get angry at our pronunciations. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, if we give them a trigger warning, then they can't get angry. Because, like, they'll know it, you know? Maybe we should put that in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> um, anyway, so Urbain Grandier was born near the end of the 16th century, and on 1617 he was appointed as like a parish priest of the Saint Pierre du Marché in Loudon, 
and also um he was also a canon which apparently was like a member of the clergy clergy um, oh, okay. So I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know it was called a cannon. I was like, he was a weapon. That's <laughs> yeah, what I thought too. I read it like three times, and I, then I had to look it up. And I was like, oh, a member of the clergy. I don't know why they just called. They didn't call it like a member of the clergy. Yeah, gotta have whatever. a fancy name. Honestly, um, and this was at the Church of Saint Croix. Um, and apparently he was described as uh, good-looking, wealthy, and also well-educated. He was an eloquent and, po- eloquent and popular preacher. And I guess that all of these things combined, you know, him being attractive and also popular, made a lot of the local monks really jealous. <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> right? So some tea right some there. Some monk drama. <laughs> yep. And um, if you remember the whole te- to tear down or, like, not to tear down the wall thing, he was in favor of not tearing it down. Okay. Um, so, like, against the monarchy who wanted to tear it down. Um, in 1629, Jacques de Thibault was another guy, and he was really vocal in expressing his opinion of his of Grandier's conduct with women. Wait, so Grandier is the one who was charged with summoning the demon, right? Yes, okay. yeah, that's him. This is just a little bit of his history. Okay. So he, so Grandier was like, apparently like exposed by this Jack guy for treating women badly, I guess. Yes. Um, and he demanded an explanation. So Jack Tibault beat him outside the Church of Saint Croix with a cane. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously this resulted in a trial and he so Jacques de Tibault was like um this was out of defense apparently and then they the magistrates believed this so they turned Grandier over to the ecclesiastical court and then the bishop prohibited him from performing any public functions as a priest for 5 years and in the like region of Poitiers and he could never practice like any perf- like public functions in the town of Ludon. Okay. So that was wild. He got beat up by this guy and then also charged. I mean, if he was having, if, if he was being rude to women, I mean, you know, exactly. Maybe I common. do agree with it. Yeah. <laughs> Punish people who are rude to women. Um, he did appeal this at a court in Poitiers. And then there were a bunch of witnesses who retracted their statements and the case was dismissed without prejudice should new evidence be presented. So I guess he just like kind of got away with it. Mm. I don't know. Not good. Yeah. Um, then the Ursuline Covenant opened in Ludon in 1626. And um, in 1632, the Poires Jean d'Agne, who was like the woman... Like who was the head of a house of an order of nuns? Um, she was the. That's what a poiress means, I guess. Like the woman in charge of a house of nuns. Okay. Um, so this particular poiress was Jean de Ag- Agnes. I'm so sorry. And she was the head of this house, which was 17 nuns. They were all like, the average age I think was like 25. Okay. Um, so some were younger, some were older, or whatever. Um, and then. Uh, so this was in 1632 when she became the Poiress, and then that's when the first reports of the alleged demonic possession began, um, about five months after the plague outbreak started. So it was like just winding down. 
1632. And then they started with these demonic possessions. Um, so, like I said, there was a plague happening. Um, and all, this caused a lot of the physicians and wealthy property owners to leave town. And I thought this was super wild because, like, shouldn't the doctors be staying there if there was a plague outbreak? You're like, sorry, guys, peace out. Good luck. <laughs> like, yeah, basically, they were like, I guess there's nothing we can do. So they just left. Yikes. Um, so, like, the wealthy guys and the doctors left town and all the other common folk tried to isolate themselves. Um, so, like, the convents had basically shut themselves behind the walls and the nuns stopped receiving parlor visits and, like, people who were, like, coming to pray or whatever. But Grandier visited the sick and also gave money to the poor. Um, so he was, like, visiting people during the outbreak of a plague. He was one of those people who broke quarantine. He was, he was one of those people. <laughs> um, so then one of the nuns said that she had a vision of her recently deceased confessor, Father Moussant. And then soon after, one of these nuns said that, a bunch of other nuns said that they had similar visions. So Jean Mignon, the covenant chaplain, decided that a series of exorcisms were was in order. And in the town, people were also like, yeah, exorcise them. Um, the nuns claimed that the demon Asmodai was sent to commit evil and impudent acts with them. And during questioning about said supposed evil spirit thought to be possessing them, the nuns gave several answers as to what caused its presence. So I don't... Okay, so that's what I was kind of confused about in this article. They said that it was the demon Asmodai, but then also other nuns were like, it could be other demons. Okay. Like people... Like some of them claimed it was a priest who was causing it. Um, Peter from the Bible, I guess. Asmodeus. Zabalon, who I guess was like the biblical founder of the tribe of Israelites whatever and then almost a week after they started claiming that they were having these visions or whatever on october 11th grandier was named as the magician responsible even though none of them had ever like met him okay he was just (laughs) charged with the crime even though like no one knew who he was they just knew they just were like it's that guy that guy over there the vibes are off the vibes are atrocious in that one yeah and then they brought in physicians and apothecaries, and um, the person who like um, ordered the exorcisms, Canon Mignon, he informed the local magistrates of what was happening at the convent, um, because you know <laughs> nuns were being possessed. He's like, yo, there's some possessions over here. Guys might yeah. want to check that out, right? Which you know I don't blame him. If I saw a bunch of people acting possessed, I too would want to inform the local magistrate. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. Um, but Grandier was, con- like, charged, like, um, accused of doing this, so he filed a petition stating that his reputation was under attack and that the nun should just be confined. Would that um, stop possessions? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I guess kind of, because the Archbishop of Bordeaux intervened, and he was like, all the nuns need to be sequestered. And then when they did that, the appearance of the possession seemed to subside. So, like, it spreads like a disease? <laughs> I have no idea. Weird. But, like, it just, like, kind of happened. And then, like, when they were sequestered, it was, like, 
subside. I don't know. It's weird. I feel yeah. like this is some sort of like hysteria kind of thing. Yeah. Like I watched an episode of, I think it was New Amsterdam, which is like a medical show where like one child like faked having an illness and then all the other children in the class like had symptoms of the illness, <sighs> but it was all psychological. Like they didn't That's actually so have weird. any illness, but they had physical symptoms. That was me. weird. Yeah. And the other me being a hypochondriac. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay, so I did find a little bit more information on what actually happened with the possessions and stuff like that. So, Sister de Colombier, who is the sub poiress, and Sister Marthe de Saint-Monique, who is a junior nun, were each visited during the night by an apparition of a quote-unquote man of the cloth who was asking for help. And people think that this could be you know, the Father Moussant, who was recently deceased. Um, people think that that's, what, that's who they saw. Okay. And then strange disturbances also continued after this. The reports are that the nuns heard voices, experienced physical blows from unseen sources, and found themselves gripped by fits of uncontrollable laughter. Oh, no. Right? That's my <laughs> least favorite part. The uncontrollable laughter, yeah. that's kind of terrifying. I would sequester yeah. them, too, after that. <laughs> Honestly, same. Like, stop. <laughs> that's creeping me out. You gotta go away. It kind of gets worse. Oh, no. There was physical evidence of possession. Oh. There were, like, hawthorns that were passed from a quote-unquote ghostly hand into the palm of the nuns. And then also, some like, after a time, they were quote-unquote stricken with convulsions and irrational behavior. So, um, uh, what? <laughs> um, eventually one of the cardinals, Cardinal Riccolu, I'm so sorry, decided to intervene because, you know, there are nuns being hurt physically. <laughs> yeah. As they're locked in their covenant. Covenant? You know? Yeah. Sad. Um, and, um, you know, this Grandier guy, he apparently had also offended Cardinal Riclou uh, by the public opposition to the demolition of the town walls and also um, his reputation for illicit relations with parishioners did not improve his standing with the Cardinal. Um, so this Cardinal guy really didn't like Grandier anyway. And also, Grandier had written a book that attacked the discipline of clerical celibacy as well and it was also a scathing satire of said cardinal so So he's not he's not in the good books yeah he's not in the good books um around the town around the time of the nuns accusations that they were being possessed uh jean de labartement was sent to demolish the the walls and was prevented from doing so by the town militia so he went back to Paris and he reported on the state of affairs in Loudun, and this included the recent quote-unquote disturbance at the Ursuline Coven- Convent. My English, gone. So now, like, everyone knows about the weird-ass things that are happening in Loudun. Okay. Um, in November of 1633, he was commissioned to investigate the matter, and then Grandier was arrested as a precaution against him fleeing the area. Because they were like, oh, it could be him. And then they arrested him so that he couldn't just leave and they couldn't find him, I guess. Okay. 
Um, the commissioner then began taking, to take statements from the witnesses who said that Grandier often mysteriously appeared at the convent at all hours and no one knew how he got inside. He just got inside. <laughs> that is terrifying. <laughs> right? What? Like, I would lock my doors. Yeah. I hate it. I don't like people just mysteriously appearing places. <laughs> no. Um... He was then further accused of indecency. And when Le Bardemont questioned Grandier as to, like, the articles of his accusation, um, he proceed- He went back to Paris to inform the court of this. Um, and then there were letters from Loudon and, like, Grandier's chief supporter to the parliament where it was asserted that the possessions were, like, not true, like, they were an imposter. And, you know... So they were like, I guess that was kind of, I, yeah. Okay. Which kind of makes sense because, I don't know, possession, like, now looking back at it, like, possession, really? Yeah. Um, anyway, he returned to Loudon with a decree of the council, which was dated May 31st, 1634, and this confirmed all of his powers and prohibiting parliament and all other judges from interfering. And then it also forbidding, it was also forbidding all parties concerned in this article, whatever, from appealing under the penalty of a fine of 500 livres, which I think was the currency of the time. Okay. So it was basically like he had all the power and he could do whatever he wanted. No one could appeal it. Okay. Um, so Grandier was held in one of the prisons and he was returned to Loudun, where Le Bardemont, um, interrogated the nuns I guess about his involvement in their possession so, and um, the nuns didn't even really know him I guess they didn't really know him okay it was weird except for him like, they, showing up randomly without having without them knowing how he got in yeah he just like appeared in the council and was accused of indecency but the nuns like didn't know who he was you know like he was just kind of like there and was being not a good person all right um yeah i don't know uh so the bishop sent several doctors of theology to examine the victims um and over the next two and a half months they performed exorcisms as well as like a bunch of other like rituals i guess to get them unpossessed okay i don't know depossess them (laughs) yeah like make them normal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on June 23rd, 1634, um, the Bishop of Poitiers and Le Bardemont were present when Grandier was brought from his prison to the Church of Saint-Croix, which was his parish, the one that he was like, like working at before, oh. and he was present at the exorcisms. Um, all of the people who were possessed were there, and then the accused declared that the possessions were impostures, which, you know, like... They were just trying to get him off the hook, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he, they ordered Grandier to be the exorcist. Um, so I guess he... Okay. You know, yeah. Really weird. And apparently he could not refuse. So he did the exorcism. <laughs> Even though the people were like, they're imposters. And also, he's the one who did it. Like, right? If it, you know... Uh... Yeah, I don't understand why they where they were like, you need to do the exorcisms. Yeah, don't quite get it, but alright. 
it was weird. In August of 1634, the case was heard again before local magistrates, and then they were like, maybe Grandier made a pact with the devil and invited someone to a witch's Sabbath. Okay. I don't know. He was then found guilty of sorcery and placing evil spells to cause the possession of the Ursuline nuns, and then was condemned to be burned at the stake. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I found this little quote thing, and it says, it's like, I'm just gonna read it to you. I said, We have ordered and do order the said Urban Grandier duly tried and convicted of the crime of magic, maleficia, and causing demonical possessions of several Ursuline nuns of this town of Ludon, as well as of other secular women, together with other charges and crimes resulting therefrom. For our atonement of which we have condemned and do condemn the said Grandier to make amend honorable, his head bare, a rope round his neck, holding in his hand a burning taper weighing two pounds before the principal door of the church of St. Pierre du Marché and before that of St. Ursula of this town, there on his knees to ask pardon of God, the king, and the law. This done, he is to be taken to the public square of St. Croix and fastened to the stake on a scaffold, which shall be erected on the said place for this purpose, and there to be burned alive, and his ashes scattered to the wind. We have ordered and do so order that each and every article of his movable property be acquired and confiscated by the king, the sum of 500 livres being first taken for buying a bronze plaque on which will be engraved in the abstract of this present trial to be set apart to be set up in a prominent spot in the said church of the Ursulines to remain there for all eternity and before proceeding to the execution of the present sentence we order that the said grandier to be submitted to the first and last degrees of torture concerning his accomplices okay what a way to go out <laughs> honestly oh, i just boy. like that they they said that they were gonna like put a bronze plaque like the the trial was gonna be engraved on a bronze plaque that goes in the church for all eternity yeah, that, that kind of confused me a little bit i don't like, think i'd want are, that it kind of looks like they're honoring him yeah that's what i was thinking like if like if you want to honor someone you put their life story or like their whatever on a bronze plaque and keep it in there for all eternity but if, but this guy was yeah. accused of sorcery and and like he wasn't liked by anyone because he harassed women yeah and was opposed to the the crown and they just like engrave his abstract onto a plaque it doesn't seem logical that's what I thought too. I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Whatever. Interesting. That's what they did. The French were weird. <laughs> French be wild. <laughs> French be wild. And um, so there were a bunch of other tortures that he was subjected to. I said at the end of the abstract of the trial, but one of them that I did read about was the boot. Oh. Um, <laughs> the term boot refers to a family of instruments of torture oh, and interrogation. No. Okay. That were variously designed to cause crushing injuries to the foot and or leg. Oh boy, okay. <laughs> so that sounds really painful. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Could not say I'm a fan. Um, so he was taken to the Court of Justice of Ludon and they read this sentence to him and he basically begged Le Bardemont and the other commissions to like reduce the like 
intensity of the sentence. Mm-hmm. And then Labard basically replied that the only means of inducing the judges to like make his like um what's it called sentence like less was to declare at once his accomplices because they thought that he couldn't have caused the possession by himself he needed one of like the demons i guess mm-hmm. and then the only answer that he gave was that he has no accomplices so oh, then boy. the executioner strangled him and um the flames suddenly sprang up with like apparently such a violence that the rope caught fire and then he fell and was burned alive oh boy okay yeah so um father grandier was promised that he could have the chance to speak before he was executed so he could like make a last statement or whatever and then he would be hanged before the burning as an act of mercy obviously that didn't happen Mm -mm. (laughs) he burned alive um from the like execution place he attempted to address the crowd but then the monks, who didn't like him because he was too attractive, <laughs> threw large amounts of holy water in his face, so that his last words could not be heard. Those are some petty monks. Right? They really were like, we don't like that man, and then drowned him. <laughs> that before he burned alive. <laughs> I, the French are just crazy. <laughs> I love them. I want to be that level of extra. Um, according to a historian, Robert Rapley, um, the exorcist caused the execution to deviate from the planned course of action by, like, he, like, taunted the crowd that gathered there, and then he lit the funeral pyre before Grandia could be hanged, which was the reason why the rope burned and he fell and burned alive. Wait, so it was, like, which, I don't... Grandia who did it? No, the exor- the other exorcist. So, like they had an exorcist oh. come in and do some exorcisms, and then they brought Grandier and was okay. like, "Hey, you do the exorcisms." And I don't know if that was just him being like mean or just like really petty. Okay. If he was just like, "Hey, I was supposed to do this exorcism, so you burn alive." You like, stole my thing. exorcisms for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be that. And then he just, you know, lit the funeral pyre before he died. Interesting. Um. So, where I lost my place. Okay, um, in like a basic summary of the Luden possessions by author Moshi Savosky, um, reports that the displays, like the um, possessions, continued until 1637, which is three years after Grandier's death. Quote, the last departing demons left clear signs of their exit from her, which was Jeanne d'Agne, the mother superior of the community, like the Poires, mm-hmm. um, her body, when the names Joseph and Mary miraculously appeared inscribed on, on her left arm. End quote. Oh. Yeah. So, so, you know, how... <laughs> I don't know if that just means like they were appeared on her arm or like were carved into her arm. Yeah, it seems like maybe like like a scratch or something. Yeah. Yeah. Which also doesn't seems a little. I don't like it. Yeah. 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 Um. So the allegedly the Duchess Darguan. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Who was Cardinal Riclo's niece? Reported the the this to her uncle, and then apparently 
he terminated the investigations into the events at Ludon after this. He's like, that's enough. Yeah, it's good, whatever. <laughs> um, some people do claim that it was actually Jean d'Agne who had the public exorcism stopped. Um, she allegedly had a vision that she would be freed from the devil if she made pilgrimage to the tomb of Saint-Francais de Salle. And then she went um, to the Annecy and then visited the cardinal and the King Louis XIII in 1638. And then the demons were gone. Right. So it could have been either of those. Like, the, either it, her being carved into or that she just went and to a pilgrimage and then they were gone. Okay. Um, but by the end of this possession thing, you know how they, like, weren't really sure what demon was causing it at the beginning? Yeah. They had a whole list by the end. <laughs> so the list consisted of, it could be Esmodeus, Zabalon, Issacharon, I'm so sorry about these names, by the way, Astaroth, Greziel, Amand, Levitome, Pimot, Bari, Isas, Celsus, Akos, Sedon, Alex, which seems like a very normal name <laughs> yeah. to me. Just Alex. Just Alex. <laughs> Alex. Um, Naphtalium, Cham, Uriel, and Akas. Achas. That was the list. I apologize for butchering their names. So it could have been any one of them. It could have been them, yeah. They were right. like, here's some demons that could have possessed y'all. Here's some demons. Have fun. <laughs> Okay, so then I decided to look up what possession was actually like in the Middle Ages. Um, and then I got into this, like, you know, Wikipedia hole of, like, um, possession. Okay. And um, I'm going to share with you because I thought it was weird. And it really just shows that possession is all about, like, what you think it is. Yeah, there are a lot of you know? differing versions of possession. Yeah. So apparently in the early Middle Ages, the devil possession kind of thing was mostly messing with a person's imagination, not their physical body. So the devil was portrayed as like a deceiver who employs phantasma to lead the soul astray. You know, like people would like meet the devil in their dreams and stuff. Okay. And then in the 13th century, the church reversed this and made it more that that possession was like a corporeal reality and a mental one okay. so witches and sorcerers were described as having um, gone against the Christian faith by inviting devils to enter their body um, and then I found this like one little section of an article that talked about language with possession um, and I thought it was interesting so apparently possession and obsession were basically synonyms until this point where they were like the devil attacks the body and the mind as well and that's where their meanings diverged. So up until the Middle Ages, possession and obsession were the same thing. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess obsession means, quote, to sit or opposite to, end quote, or to besiege. And possession means to be able to sit. So an obsessive spirit was thought to assail, haunt, or harass a person from the outside, while a possessing spirit was considered to have taken up residence inside the body and to occupy the body. Uh, okay. So using this definition, an exorcist would have to identify the type of spirit and then figure out where in the body it resided. Okay. So it became more of like an actual like thing. Like it wasn't like, here's just 
like words in Latin. They had to like figure out where the demon was before they could exercise it. Interesting. Apparently, the body of Jean de Agnes, Agnes housed seven demons. Oh, God. They, right? Um, among them were one lodged in her forehead, below her last rib on the right side, and at the base of her stomach. And then, I guess using her as, like, an example, they made maps of the correspondences between the type of devil and the location okay. of, like, where it resided. Anyway, there's, like, this whole thing about exorcisms and stuff and, like, how to do it, but, like, details about the demons and what it means when they're in different parts of the body. A wiki hell on exorcisms. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> oh, my God. Amazing. Imagine. sometimes you just gotta know man right um and then lastly what i wanted to talk about was um psychology so freud wrote in about um the psychoanalytical interpretation of a case of exorcisms in one of his essays that was titled a 17th century demonical neurosis and freud basically regarded it as the necessary and healthy incorporation or internalization of images of a mourned loved one. In this case, it was the father, like, you know, the church, the confessor or whatever. Um, This was transposed by the discourse of the church into a possession by demons. So it was like a mental thing that, like, they sought out this possession kind of thing to see him again for comfort. Okay. I guess. And then another psychologist, Carl Jung, mentioned Lou Dunn in one of his definitions of demonism that he wrote about in 1945. He used his theory of complexes to um, account for the fact of, like, the phenomena of possession. Um, He said, a feeling-toned complex is an image to which a highly charged affect is attached, and then this is incompatible with the ego. So, like, this, like trauma splits off a bit of the psyche into like a moral conflict so then the subject finds it impossible to affirm the whole of his or her being which is why they think they're possessed um it's a splinter psyche that behaves with a some degree of autonomy and coherence like an animated foreign body in a sphere of consciousness that overrides will and blocks memory That's complicated. (laughs) It is complicated, but basically what I'm getting from it is that trauma causes it. Okay. Like, trauma causes... It's, like, kind of like a split personality thing, where, like, the split personality takes over, so it kind of looks like possession. Okay. Um, For Jung, the possession at Ludan was an epidemic, comparable to what he called the, quote, induced collective psychoses of the 20th century, end quote. And then, like, as a result, an interpretation of possession in an individual such as Jean d'Agnes should take into account the possibility of trauma and the activation of repressed contents in the personal unconscious that affects the collective. Mm. Which I thought was interesting, because, like, it does kind of make sense if they're dealing with this whole plague that's happening, as well as unrest in the city regarding taking down the wall and not taking down the wall and like what should we do yeah and add on top of that one of the people in the church dies yeah i feel like that is quite a bit of trauma that is that could cause split personality does seem like a lot of trauma (laughs) yeah 
So that was my story for today. I guess it was a bit lighter than I made it out to be at the beginning. Well, it was very interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. I do feel like things that happened a long time ago, like in the 1600s or whatever, are easier to talk about. Yeah, that's true. Because I just don't associate it with a now. And I'm like, yeah, that happened yeah. so long ago, whatever. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my story. Um, do you have any life updates for us? Um, that is a good question. (laughs) Class is going well? Classes are going pretty well. Um, I mean, you're still at school, so. We are still here. We made it three weeks. I can't believe Um, you've been in college for three weeks already. Yeah, me neither. It's kind of (laughs) crazy. I sold like two weeks before I start. Oh my god. Um, we are going to start doing random testing as a university, so hopefully that should catch some more cases. Is that like the one where they stick the thing up your nose, though? No, we're just doing like the spit test. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, if you were randomly chosen to have a stick touch your yeah. brain, no thanks. At first I was like, oh, but then I read the whole email and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, this is fine. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I guess that's it for me. I will probably be We have tomorrow home. off, right, too? Yeah, I have tomorrow that's off. That's exciting. To do homework. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, it's a good time. And I will probably be home next weekend because random testing is starting this week, so I think that'll show that we have a lot more cases than we think we have right now you know lovely so yeah should be fun love that (laughs) all good thriving what about you do you have any life updates um well i just got back to europe so that's kind of nice i've realized that um buying a flat is hard (laughs) i don't like it yeah not having a good time we got here and they were like, oh, all of your utilities are working and you'll get billed at the end of the month for utilities. And we were like, great. But then we checked the boiler. It's not working. Oh. It like turns on and it hums, but the hot, like the water doesn't get hot and oh, the radiators no. don't turn on. Do you have to take cold showers? No, our shower is actually electric. Oh, okay. So our shower is warm, nice. which is good because I would not survive with cold water yeah, for a shower. That would suck. Um, I would literally call an electrician out the next day (laughs) be like this is not happening no thank you um so that's not working we don't have wi-fi um and apparently we've called like all these different providers and um they're all like no you can't get wi-fi the speed that they're giving us is like 11 to 14 mbps which is slow you need like at least 30 to stream any sort of video so that's really fun it's just not covered in this area mm. and um we woke up on saturday morning the day after we arrived to no power oh god so that was excellent we had to call a company on a saturday and we were like help and then and then they told us that our um our power was actually with a key and we won't get billed at the month we have to top up this key so my week is going great i'm having a good time wow i'm freezing <laughs> but it's okay well that sounds like an adventure (laughs) yeah 
moral of the story is being an adult is hard and I don't like it. Amen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, do you have anything else to add? Because that was it for me. I don't really have anything else besides being cold. No, that's it for me. Alrighty. Well, this was fun. It was a much needed break for me. I don't know about you guys, but I needed this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Um, so next week, um, we are doing some U.S. true crime, which should be really fun. I'm excited about that story. And then the week after that, we're going to start a little Halloween countdown Ooh, yay. and talk about some ghosts. And I'm really excited that all leads up to a, an episode about ghosts and the creepypasta from Maddie. Yeah. So that's going to be super fun and we have a lot to look forward to. Yeah. And until then, you can find us on Instagram at Grim Podcast. Um, you can DM us, like our pictures, follow us. And then from there, there's a link in our, um, not bio, but like in our little profile to email us. Um, email us at thegrimpodcast at gmail.com. Email us literally like life update, story, requests, comments, concerns, anything. All of the above. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> Um, just write us an essay and send it. <laughs> yeah. Send us an essay that you already wrote. We'll read it. Yeah. We can edit it for you if you want. I'm bad I mean, at We won't like it, but we'll yeah, do it. but I could try. Um, we just want to interact with you guys. Yeah, that would be so fun. And then, oh, we've I've figured out that I can link the Facebook and Twitter to my Instagram, to our Instagram posts. So, yes, yeah, so we're finally posting yeah, on Facebook. I saw our out. post on Facebook and I like texted Maddie right away and I was like, oh my god, you figured out <laughs> Facebook. So we are, we are figuring it out slowly. Um, but you can find us on Facebook at Grim Podcast and on Twitter at the Podcast Grim. And other than that, just tell your friends and family about us and leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. yeah. And we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, stay healthy. Bye. Bye.